a delight and honor it is to be here gathered in the house of God once more. And again, I, I don't ever, ever, ever want to take for granted the ability that we have of being able to gather together surrounded around the centrality of the word of God. I don't ever want to take that for granted. Sometimes we can come into church and we think, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. You grab your little coffee outside. You come in here and you think that you're supposed to be in the house of God. But it is nothing but a miracle that you woke up this morning. It's nothing but a miracle that you didn't die last night. So I'm excited about the word of God today. Deuteronomy 8.3, don't turn there, says this. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or that comes out of the mouth of God. And speaking of the word of God, why don't you guys indulge me, grab your Bibles or your devices. Meet me in the book of Habakkuk. We are back in it today. Quickly, if you could get there. We've been going through a sermon series uh, through the book of Habakkuk. And, and for our first time visitors or for those who haven't been coming that long, let me just express to you what I mean by that. When I say we go through the book of Habakkuk, we literally go through it line by line and verse by verse. Uh, we just believe that the word of God should dictate our time. Uh, we believe that uh, me as a preacher, as fickle as I am, if I choose to preach on what I want to preach on, I'm going to skip over some major stuff. But when you go through book of, a book of the Bible, you got to go through each and every section. I was with a church on Friday night. I had to preach at a church here in Brooklyn on Saratoga. And uh, one of the things I was pushing when I was talking to that church was the importance of working through books of the Bible. It is very, like, it's not common. It is very, very important. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 20, I've said this to you before. Paul stands before the Ephesian elders. and He says, I didn't shrink away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. So something very, very important about digging into the word of God. And so we will do that with our time together this morning. Uh, let, 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 me, let me do this. Let me just jump right in. Habakkuk chapter 3. By the way, us being in Habakkuk chapter 3 lets you know that we are making progress. We are working <laughs> I know I feel like we've been in it for two years. Uh, it hasn't been that long, but we are making progress through the book of Habakkuk. This is the last chapter. Uh, let me just admonish you guys not to check out. Chapter three is just as inspired as chapter one. It is just as inspired as chapter two, and there are some good nutrients in chapter three. Uh, and I'm committed to making sure that we do finish within the next few weeks. It may not feel like it because I'm only doing two verses today, but I, but I promise you, <laughs> I promise you, we are, making, we are making our way through it, and we will finish it up uh, before 2024. All right, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigenoth. You should circle that word, because I'm probably guaranteeing you've never heard that word before. Uh, verse number 2. Oh, Lord, I have, I have heard the report of you and your work. Underline this phrase. Oh, Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the year, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I want to preach this morning from the topic entitled, A Fearful Prophet. A Fearful Prophet. Would you bow your head with me as we lift up a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, as we approach your word, we do so with reverence and complete awe of you. We humbly sit together as, as worms, as a, as a baby bird in a nest that is, has our mouth open waiting for you to feed us this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would feed us with the nutrients from heaven, pray that I would be faithful to this text, that I wouldn't add anything away from it, that I wouldn't take anything away from it. Ultimately, I pray that Jesus Christ is seen, proclaimed, and worshipped through this text. 
He is the hero of the book, and I want him to be the hero of our time. So would you hide me, as the old preachers used to say, hide me behind the cross. May we only see Jesus and him alone. In Christ's name we do pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. A fearful prophet. Why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, the prophet is scared. In fact, don't say scared. Put a U on it. The prophet is scared. There are a few moments in my life that I have experienced genuine fear, like genuine fear, unadulterated. There's there's like it was fearful moments at the expense of embarrassing myself. I do want to kind of share some of those moments with you. One of those times was when I was a teenager, underage, and I snuck into a Jamaican club. And y'all, Jamaicans know how to they know how to club. Just going to put it out there. Snuck into this Jamaican club as a teenager, and I get in there, and they're, they're, they're bumping uh, uh, Shaba Ranks, Mr. Lover Man. Y'all don't know nothing about that. I'm hitting the boggle. I'm like this. I'm on the dance floor doing my thing. See, we wasn't saying hey back in the day. We just was doing it. And halfway, you know you got to go down when you do it. And when I was halfway down, some fool in the, in the club started to shoot in, in the middle of the air. Like somebody snapped out his sneakers. He was mad, and he started to just pop off rounds into the air. And in that moment, like, scared isn't even the word. I ran to a corner, and I cuddled up, and, and I was making this girly noise, and I was praying to the Lord. Y'all know how we pray when we get in those moments. We pray like, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. In reality, I was in another club the very next week. Y'all know how we do. But I was frightened to death at that moment. I've never experienced any type of, like, to where it feels like you are literally jumping out of your body, like, so fearful. There's another moment I had when I was on a date night with Ty. She wasn't the one that made me afraid, but I was on a date night with Ty. <laughs> and we were living in Philadelphia, and, and while we were there, we, were, we went down. Part of the date was to go down to this popular street uh, in the south section of Philly. It's called South Street. Some of you might know about it. Now, South Street is lit. It's always lit except for certain parts of South Street. If you keep walking, it gets dark at certain parts. It's very quiet at certain parts. And so we walked off into where it was just completely dark. It was no sound. And for some reason, I don't know what it was, but that day I just felt real manly. I was reading a book on manhood, and I just felt like I was a protector. And, you know, you ever had one of those moments where you actually wanted something to pop off? Like I wanted to show how manly I was, and I'm walking down the street with my woman, and sure enough, man, this, this car pulls up on us. So something did pop off. This car pulls up on us, and these teenagers jump out of the car with blowhorns, and they're blowing their blowhorns, and they're screaming, and they're banging on the car. And the, the, the sudden noise, like, it frightened me to where I grabbed Ty, I grabbed my chest, and I started to scream. <laughs> there, there was no manliness in that moment. I was scared. The last moment, I'm embarrassing myself, but the last moment I'll, I'll share with you guys. There, there was another time where I had to take a flight to Las Vegas, and as I took the flight, I was, I was traveling with uh, my pastor at the time, Dr. Eric Mason, and he's sitting next to me. You know, that's a long flight from the East Coast to uh, all the way over to Las Vegas, and I'm sitting on the flight, and we're talking for a couple of hours straight, and we're both good. You know, everything's smooth. We had a nice cruising altitude, uh, but Somewhere along the line, we both nodded off and fell asleep. He falls asleep, I fall asleep, and out of nowhere, we hit the worst turbulence I ever experienced, where it literally felt like we were a toy plane in a child's hand, and he was shaking it. I, I thought we were going down. That's how bad. You ever experienced turbulence like that? 
Well, you're just like, man, this is it. Like, Lord, you're going to, you know, you got your seatbelt on. I don't know anybody that ever survived that one. It doesn't matter if you got a seatbelt on or not. I felt like we were going down quickly. By the time we landed, and we landed safely, by the time we landed, I found, and I didn't know this while we were in the air, I positioned myself up under Dr. Mason's arm. I put my head <laughs> on his shoulder, and I was, I was holding on to him for dear life. And, when, you know, he wanted to, he just wrote Manhood Restored at that time. So he's like, man, get off me, man. <laughs> you know, but I was scared. Now, I, I know your pastor sounds like a punk today, but don't get it twisted. I can still throw these hands. Don't, <laughs> don't try me. But everybody in this room, all jokes aside, everybody in this room has experienced that one moment where you were scared to death. And if I pass the mic around, all of you could share that one moment. Everybody in here could tell me about that moment that you were frightened. You thought that was the end of the world. And it might have been a scary movie that you were watching. Maybe it was a childhood nightmare. Maybe you're scared of heights and you had that experience where you had to you had to face that fear. Maybe you're scared of spiders and one just dropped on you. Whatever it is, all of us have those experiences where we are afraid. Well, the Bible is filled with men that were afraid. But they were not afraid of some teenage boys jumping out of a car with blowhorns. They were not afraid of heights. They were not afraid of spiders. The fear that the men had in the text was at the word of God. In fact, let me put a little bit, a little bit of Bible here. King David was scared. The Bible calls him a man after, his, after God's own heart. Here's what he says in Psalms 119, verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you. I am afraid of your judgments. Jeremiah 23, verse number 9. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome with wine. Here, here's why. Because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Daniel chapter 10, verse number 8, last one. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. The Bible is full of men that were afraid at the sound of God's word. Here's the question I have. Are you afraid at God's word, especially when he's talking about punishment? Because that's all he's talking about in the book of Habakkuk. Over the last three chapters, that's all he's been talking about. In fact, let me give you a quick recap. Chapter one, we saw he opens the book with questions and complaints. And his questions and complaints are, God, how in the world are you allowing Judah, your chosen people, to? how are you allowing them to fall into sin? They're bugging out. They are perverting justice. They are taking bribes. They are contentious is what chapter one says. And then God responds and says, no, 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 no. I'm not turning a blinded eye to their sin. I'm too holy for that. I'm going to punish their sin, but I'm going to punish it in a way that you're not going to expect. I'm going to send the Babylonians. So he says, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And, and Habakkuk is like, wait, wait, I'm still in chapter one. Wait, wait, why, are, why in the world would you send a more wicked nation to punish your people? Then remember, in chapter two, it opens up with Habakkuk in the watchtower waiting to hear God's response. God responds with five woes on the Babylonians. In other words, he's like, I'm so holy, not only am I willing to act like I don't see the sin in Judah, but the sin that's in the Babylonians, I'm going to crush that too. Now, finally, in chapter three, we get Habakkuk's response. And Habakkuk's response to the holiness of God, I love this, is prayer. 
That's how he decides that he's going to spend his time. He's not going to be scared like I was in the corner shaking. No, he's going to be scared, but he's going to audibly turn it into a petition to the Lord. Why don't you look with me at verse number one? It's a surprising verse that opens up chapter three. Here it is. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganoth. Now, this is interesting because prophetic books usually contain, and I've said this before, they usually contain what you would call a superscription or a title verse. A title verse gives you the details that are going to be found in the book. Stay with me. Now, we already got in chapter one the title verse. Remember chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us this is an oracle of Habakkuk the prophet. So we know what the details of the book are, but for some reason, there's another title verse in chapter 3. And many commentators have suggested that chapter 3 was later added to the book, like the book ends with chapter 2 and then chapter 3. It wasn't that. There is more detail that the writer is giving us about the situation that was going on in 610 B, C. Now, here's the, the details that are in, chap- in verse number one. There's four details I want you to pay attention to. Four details. The first detail, and I just said it, is that chapter three, all of chapter three, is a prayer. Stay with me. Look at what it says. A prayer of Habakkuk. This shows us that the prophet, and I've said this before, is consistent with his prayer life. He is not swayed by the circumstances of life. He realizes that if he's going to understand the difficulty surrounding him and the chaos surrounding him, he knows that he has to get on his knees and pray to God. Here's a question I have for you. When's the last time you were consistent? When did you have a season of consistency in prayer? Because Habakkuk doesn't pray in chapter three alone. He's prayed through the whole book. There never was a moment where he was not. Con- there is no prophecy in chapter in, in all of Habakkuk. All of it is him talking to the Lord. All of it is him communicating to the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can get to the place where we were consistent in prayer? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can get to the place where we didn't rush to seek our friend's counsel over the Lord's counsel? And here's how you know you do that. When you run into a jam is the first thing you do is text your friend or is it to pray to the Lord? Because let me tell you something about prayer. You, prayer does way more than grinding will ever do. Prayer do, does way more than strategic planning will ever do. And some of you in this room, I'm not a naive pastor. You haven't consistently prayed in years. Some of you in this room don't even know what it's like to pray. You pray at moments when you have to. So I'll say grace. I'll pray over the food. But really what you're doing is you're turning God not into God but into a waiter. Does your waiter not come with your food and you say thank you? That's the same thing you do when you only pray over your food. And really, we have to get God out of this box of making him a bellhop God. He's not your genie in the bottle. Prayer shows dependency on God. And when you come to me and you tell me, listen, man, I got this adventure and I'm thinking about doing this and this is where my career is going. The first thing I'm asking you is how much have you prayed about it? Because I'll know how serious you are based on how much you pray about it. Reality is some of us don't pray. We think doors open because we got skills. You think doors open because your resume is nice. No, doors open because the heavens open for you. The Bible tells us that he is faithful, so faithful to prayer. And don't let your schedule be too busy. 
Don't let it, don't, like, don't get there to where prayer is an aftermath. Prayer has to be priority. In fact, if you're so busy, why don't you put prayer on your calendar? I literally have prayer on my calendar. There are moments in my day that I block off time. There ain't no text messaging. There is no meetings going on. I treat it as though it is a meeting because it is a meeting. In fact, it's the more, most important meeting of the week. I put it on my calendar. And some of you need to get that detailed because you lack discipline. I lack discipline, so I got to put it on my calendar. And when it's on my calendar, I know, no, you got to spend time with the Lord. And most of the time, the reasons we don't pray is because we don't believe that our prayers actually get to heaven. We think they hit the ceiling and come back down. Some of us don't pray because we think that God hears it, but he's not powerful enough to answer it. There's a story of a, a Baptist church down south that had adjacent to it. Right across the street was a bar. It was a loud bar. The church was a very quiet Baptist church. True story. And on Wednesday nights, the, the church would have prayer and Bible study. And in prayer and Bible study, they hated the bar across the street. And they prayed that the Lord would destroy the bar, that would destroy the, the bar across the street, that he'd take it down, that he'd move it and make a move across town. And one night, a storm arose and lightning struck the bar and the bar set on fire. And the bar owner goes down to the courthouse and sues the church for praying against him. And here's the church's response. We take no responsibility for it. Here you have an atheist believing in prayer and a church that does it. Now, here's my problem. Most of us in this room are like that church where we'll pray, but we really don't believe that God will answer the request. Do you, you do know we serve a God that controls all things. Like everything is that he's in, there's nothing outside of his control. And so you are not praying. That's why I was saying when we were talking about a mighty God, this is a God that does sit high, as my grandmother would say, and looks low. And there's nothing outside of his control. Why would we not pray to him? Why would we not communicate him to him? Why would we talk to our friends and get counsel from them when they're limited in their perspective? They're limited in their scope. They don't know what tomorrow will bring. God not only knows, he's sitting in tomorrow right now. This is the God that we serve. He is a mighty God, and we should be quick to pray to him. So the first detail we get in this, what you call a superscription or a title verse, is that chapter 3 is a prayer. Okay, what else do we get in it? We get to know who is praying. It says a prayer of Habakkuk. This is important because many people will say that Habakkuk didn't write chapter 3. But what we see here is that this is saying this is not the Israelites praying. They should be the ones praying because they were the ones in sin. This is not the Babylonians praying. They should be the ones that, they were, that were praying because they're in sin. This is Habakkuk praying. And again, we see this because he's faithful in prayer and he's consistent in prayer. It's not only Habakkuk, but it gives us his title. Look at verse number one, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. He's not a conventional prophet. He, he's not a, like he, he's very different than we see the prophets in the Old Testament. Why do I say that? Because prophets were authorized spokesmen for God. They were the ones that God decided that he would use in order to communicate to his people. And so, so prophets would speak to the people on behalf of God. But if you notice, as we've gone through the book of Habakkuk, nowhere in Habakkuk does he speak to the people on behalf of God. He reverses the idea and he speaks to God on behalf of the people. So he's not a he's not a normal prophet. He is a very interesting, very different prophet, a prophet 
that stands and intercedes for people in sin. Does that not sound like Jesus? Does that not sound like our Lord and Savior that is on the right hand of the Father right now pleading for you for all of the sin that you've ever committed? Past, present, and this is what I love, the ones you haven't committed yet. There is a God that is on the, there's a, a, a king, a God that is on the right hand of the Father, and he is pleading for you. Last detail in verse number one. It's a prayer. Who's praying it? Habakkuk. What's his title? He's a prophet. Here it is. According to Shiganoth. This is not a normal word that you, like, no one's using this in their vocabulary. Nobody's going outside like, yo, man, that was a crazy Shiganoth. Like, nobody's using this word. In fact, it's not even typical to see it in Scripture. Two places in Scripture do you see this word Shiganoth. You see it here in the book of Habakkuk, and you see it in Psalm chapter 7. Psalm chapter 7 is consistent with this chapter. Why? Because Psalm chapter 7 is a song. Stay with me. Shiganoth literally means a musical tune or a musical meter. So in other words, this chapter isn't only a prayer. It's a prayer that's put to some beats. It's a prayer that has music surrounded around it. This is a prayer that is accompanied by a musical tone and possibly musical instruments. And one of the things I know about, prayer, about songs is that songs help us to memorize. They just do. You want to teach your kids the ABCs? You don't talk them the ABCs. You sing the ABCs to them. I'm learning Greek right now. In order to learn the Greek alphabet, there, it's impossible to learn it. Well, some people can do it. I can't do it. I can't just learn it by talking it. I had to put it in the song. And that's what, that's what songs, so generations from now, they'll look back at Habakkuk and they'll sing the words of Habakkuk 3 to remember how faithful God has been. That's what chapter 3 is. It's not just a prayer. Verse one, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 read as poetry. Chapter 3 is Kendrick Lamar pulling out the beats. We get music to chapter 3. And music doesn't only help you to remember, but music also brings us joy. Does it not? Have you ever gone through a depressing day and you heard your song and you forgot that you were depressed and you started to bop and you started to dance? In fact, y'all came in a little quiet this morning. I want to prove to you that songs will lift your spirit. I don't care how you came in. I don't care if you came in here down. I want to prove to you that I could play a song, and at the least you'll start to tap your toes. Can I prove it to you? I see it. I see it over there. Y'all still dry right here. I don't see it over here yet. All right. All right, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, whoa. Don't be Instagramming that. Don't put that out there. No shorties in the club. Dang, I got a club spirit this morning. Y'all got to pray for me. Listen, music brings us joy. It just does. If you know, if y'all wasn't in church and y'all heard that outside, y'all would have started to drop. I'm telling you. Music has a way to lift up our spirits. And even on the most depressing day, it can lift of all of our spirits. And so, yeah, as comical as this is to play the wobble, what they did with chapter three, they didn't put the wobble to it, but in chapter three, generations from now of Judeans would have been singing chapter three. And what I love about it is chapter three doesn't, like it ain't a very joyful song. 
It's about how God is going to like pour out his wrath because he's holy and because he can't look at sin. He does pour out his wrath. And so chapter three helps us to understand how faithful God is. Now, here's what we got. We know that it's a prayer. We know that it's from Habakkuk. We know that he's a prophet. We know that it's according to Shiganoff. Chapter, uh, verse number two now gives us the details. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the prayer, but we're going to at least get introduced to what the prayer is about. Look at verse number two. Oh, Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear. Here's request one. In the midst of the years, revive it. Request two. In the midst of the years, make it known. Request three. In wrath, remember mercy. What you get in verse number two at the introduction of this prayer slash song, what you get is a confession of fear, and then you get three prayer requests. This is what I want to do. I'm going to spend the remainder of our time working through the confession of fear and the three prayer requests. How about the confession of fear? He says here, oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear. What did the prophet fear? Why is he afraid? What is he scared of? He's afraid because God already said in the preceding chapters that I'm going to punish your people, that I'm going to punish you for your sins. He's afraid because they were unfaithful to the Lord. And he knows because God is holy that God can't allow their faithfulness, their unfaithfulness to go unpunished. And so he's genuinely afraid. And here's what I know about punishment. Punishment does not feel good in the moment, but punishment, the punishment of the Lord is always good. It's always corrective. It's always loving. And it is always beneficial. And maybe you're in the midst of being punished right now. Don't believe the preacher that said you come to Jesus and everything will be all right. No, it won't. Sometimes you need a tune up. Sometimes God has to pull out the divine belt and give you a spanking. And what you see in chapter one and chapter two is God is like, I'm now taking off the belt. I'll never forget, man. I was in North Carolina. My my grandmother lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I used to spend the summers with her. And there was one time in the summer that I made some friends out on the block. And, you know, my grandmother lived in the hood. And so the basketball courts were far. And so my friend was like, man, let me show you what we should do. We should climb up on this telephone pole and let's put a, one of those crates and make a basketball court right here in front of the house. So I said, cool, that sounds good. So we got up there, we nailed it in, we got it in good, and we're out there playing basketball on the street. I'm literally dodging cars because it was a busy street. It wasn't like a side street. I'm dodging cars and we playing when the cars are moving. And my grandmother saw us and she's like, boy, get out that street. Take that thing down and come inside this house. Well, I didn't listen to her because I didn't think she knew what she was talking about. So I kept playing basketball in the street. She yells out again. I'm not going to tell you again. Get in this house. I ignore her again. So I stay in the street and I almost got hit by a car and she saw it. And she says, I said, get in the house. And this time, go to that tree and get a switch. Now, I'm not going to (laughs) participate in my own beating. So I said, no, I'm not doing that. She says, you don't come in this house unless you have a switch. So I go get the smallest little switch I could find. She says, "Nah, go back out there and get one twice that size. Here's what I know about punishment. She was punishing me, but she wasn't unloving for doing it because I was disobedient. And she cared for me because it's unloving to let me play in the street. And what God does is when he punishes us, when he gives you that divine spanking, it's always good because he sees you playing in the street. And so chapter one and chapter two, he said, go to that tree and get that switch. 
because now I'm about to punish my people because I'm going to get them back on track. When I discipline my boys, I never do it out of anger. That's the wrong motivation. I never do it out of hatred. That is the wrong motivation. I discipline them because I love them. I discipline them because I want to see them be obedient. And so when God disciplines us, he does it out of love. Let me put a little Bible here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. The Lord gives us spankings because he loves us. And if you're in here thinking God needs anger management, he doesn't need anger management. He's holy. And his holiness won't let you do whatever you want to do. His holiness will not let you be in the streets wilding out. No, his holiness, if you've trusted in Jesus, his holiness is to get you back on track. And so he punishes us in order to do that. So the Bible says here that, he's, that Habakkuk is fearful, and he's fearful of God's punishment. Here's my question to you, rhetorical question, don't answer it. Are you fearful of God's punishment? And if in your mind you're answering yes, here's my question. Does your life reflect that you are fearful of God's punishment what do I mean by that? Are you obedient to the Lord because you don't want to get that divine spanking? Are you obedient to the Lord? And so the Bible is showing us here that he is fearful, and he's fearful because he knows that it's inevitable. God is not going to turn a blinded eye to the sins of Judah. And so, no, I'm actually going to lay it on them. Now, that's the confession of fear. Let's work through the three requests really quickly, and I'm going to let you go. The sun is out. It's going to rain later, so I want you to get out now. Here's verse request. In the midst of the years, I love this. I got stuck here this week. Revive it. He is literally praying. His first prayer request in this song is for revival. What is revival? What, what does revival actually mean? Revival is the spiritual reawakening of a, of a child of God that is in a spiritually stagnated situation. And I promise you, there are some of you in here that are, you're in a spiritual coma. You know it. You've kind of been going through the motions. You come to church every week, go to small group. You know, you come to Bible study. You're, you're plugged into DNA. You serve in some capacity. You give to the church. You give to the things of God. But in reality, your relationship with the Lord has been broken for a long time. Some of you in here are going through the motions and you seem like you're spiritual when in reality you haven't talked to the Lord in forever. You haven't opened up your Bible in forever. Your Bible is literally collecting dust. And what you need most and what this church needs most is revival. We need a spiritual reawakening. And so Habakkuk knows that and he prays to the Lord, wake us up. Hashtag stay woke. That's what he's praying to the Lord. He's praying that the Lord would wake up the spiritual and wipe the spiritual crust out of their eyes so that they would be able to wake up to the things of God. Now, revival is, doesn't mean uh, one of those big services where we're packing out a stadium and healings are taking place. Now, I'm not against that, but that's not what Habakkuk is praying for here. I'll never forget I went to a, a revival service when I was a kid, I wasn't a believer. I, I knew church. I, I grew up in church, but I wasn't a believer. 
and I go to a, a revival service with my friend at his church, and I get to his church, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I could not believe it. I walk in the doors of the church, and there's literally wheelchairs nailed to the wall. There's canes and crutches. crutches. I even saw an asthma pump nailed to the wall. And I looked at my friend. I said, what in the world do you got? us? what is this? And he says, this is a revival service. And so I grew up thinking that revival meant physical healings. But, but Habakkuk's not praying for a physical healing. He's praying that Judah would have a spiritual healing, that they would have a spiritual reawakening. And that's what, forget the corporate church. You individually need a revival in your life. And you need it to the point where you pray for it. The fact that he's praying for it lets us know that revival only comes from God. You can't get revival from the inside. You can't conjure up revival because if you have the choice of sin and God, you'll always choose sin. We typically don't draw. We have to fight towards getting to God. Sin is easy. Don't act like you like you lived a miserable life full of sin. Nah, you enjoyed it. And so sin is easy. And so what we need is God to revive us. We need revival in the Lord. And so he, Habakkuk wants it so bad that he turns this inward feeling of, Lord, we need revival to an upward petition. God, send it. And what I love about this prayer is he's not just praying for revival. He's telling God when he wants the revival to happen. Look back at the verse with me. Here's the second prayer request. In the midst of the years, make it known. In the original language, this literally means in my lifetime, make it known. In other words, he doesn't want to see revival in generations to come. Before he closes his eyes, he wants revival now. And that's what we need. You and I in this room don't need to put off tomorrow what God can do today. Man, there's a guy who used to cut my hair and, you know, he was nice with the clippers and but he, his soul was all over the place. And I remember he used to talk to me about all these other different religions, and he dibbled and dabbled in a bunch of different stuff. And he liked some parts of Christianity, but he didn't understand it. And so he just wanted to dibble and dabble in a whole bunch of stuff. And every time I got with him, every time, I always shared the gospel with him. I didn't, like, play games with it. I'm like, bro, you're, you're spiritually dead. You need Jesus. And I would, like, give him the gospel every time I saw him. And every time when I was done, when he was done with my fade, he would always say to me, listen, Rev, one day I'll come around to this Christian thing. But you don't need to come around to it one day. You need, like Paul says, make it known now. You need God to work now. If you've trusted in Jesus and you're in that spiritual stagnation, you need to wake up now. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, you need Jesus now. It's immediate. We want everything else immediate. You want everything else quick, fast, and in a hurry. But when it comes to your spiritual state, you want to say, I'll get to it later. No, pray more now. Read your Bible more now. Get around connections and marriage, marriages that are healthy now. Because you never know where this is going to take you. Let's keep going. Last prayer request. Last prayer request is a very powerful one, and we will end here. Here it is. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's final plea is, Lord, his, his final plea is not, Lord, remove the wrath. He knows that God is so holy, he has to punish sin. So in his holiness, he says, God, I know you're going to send the wrath, 
But while you're sending the wrath, remember that you're merciful. And the greatest place that we see mercy colliding with wrath, the greatest place that you see in the midst of God pouring out his full wrath and seeing complete mercy is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross, God poured out his full wrath. But here's mercy. The ones that needed to be on the cross were not on the cross. Okay, let me help you. You needed to be on the cross, but Jesus got on the cross in your place, and he died condemned in your place because you should have been there, but God said, nah, I'm not going to send just anybody. I'm going to send heaven's best, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to send him to dwell amongst sinful people. I'm going to send him to, to get slapped by a hand that he created, I'm going to send him to get nailed to wood that he created, Colossians 1. I'm going to send him to get people to spit in his face. And really, the ones that should be getting spat at is you. But you and I get to walk free. Here's the gospel, that Jesus Christ stood condemned in your place. And you and I, the guilty ones, get to walk free. And you didn't live like Jesus. There's nothing in you that even remotely looked like Jesus. But Jesus stood on the cross and looked like you and took and absorbed the full wrath. He didn't absorb half the wrath. He didn't absorb partial parts of the wrath. The whole bill has been paid. Remember, I used to, you know, pay partial phone bill, right? You know, I couldn't pay the whole thing, so i pay a piece of it and think that it wasn't going to get cut off. And somewhere along the line, it always got cut off. I had that lady on my phone going, you have now reached. I always got that. Jesus doesn't pay a part of the bill. He pays it all. And he dies for you. And so when we come in this room and we're singing, you are a mighty God, and you sit there, you got to think that Jesus, the one we're singing about that is mighty, has died for you. In wrath, remember mercy. And the greatest place that we get to see, God remembering how merciful he is, is it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Every head bow. Father, I want to pray in this room for every single person, every person that is not trusted you. Father, they need you. Might this message of the gospel captivate their hearts? Might they realize that they are lost without you? And might they also know that in your wrath, you do remember mercy? And might that move us to respond rightly to God. I also want to pray for the one that has trusted you, the one that has put their faith deeply in the work of Jesus Christ. Father, some of us are still in a spiritual coma. And this prayer of Habakkuk saying, Lord, revive it now. Somebody in this room needs that revival. Somebody in this room 100% needs you to work on their hearts. Father, if you don't revive us, we'll never wake up. We need you. So Father, would you seal this word in our hearts? Let us be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. It's in Christ's name and Christ's name alone. I do pray.